0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I have uh, been to a fair amount of professional baseball games, and I can tell you that most of the time, if I'm the one responsible for buying the ticket, the ticket that's going to be bought is the cheapest one that is available. And what that means is that you end up sitting a long way from the field and from up there you can see everything that is going on you can see the whole field every player looks something like an ant and unless you're afraid of heights which you might be I don't know uh, you're safe uh, from that sort of height no ball is going to get hit up there and you know while you're looking at your phone and hit you in the forehead and land you on television or anything like that if it does you've got plenty of time to react before it before it actually gets there but if you want to spend a little more money which I don't usually want to do you can get down closer you can get down to the field level you can get close enough to where you can you know distinguish each individual player you maybe if you get there before the game you could get close enough that you can uh, get an autograph from them or something like that but as you do that that means you are in greater danger I mean, you're behind nets and things like that, but there's still a risk that maybe a ball or a bat or something is going to fly into the stands and you might not be paying attention and it might put you in harm's way or something like that. That that moving down to that lower level, it brings greater intimacy to what is happening, but it also, at the same time, that greater intimacy brings greater risk. And the exact same thing is true in our human relationships, You can get close to someone, you can share your story, you can share experiences with them, and that can create meaningful relationships, and that's a great thing, but it can also put us at greater risk. I mean, if someone you had never met stopped you while you were walking down the street and said, hey, I just want you to know I think you are great, you might not think much of that other than wondering if that person knows who you are or thought you were someone that you are not. But if someone who knows you well, if someone like a parent or a spouse or one of your children says the exact same thing to you, my guess is it will carry much more weight for you. And on the flip side of that, that sort of intimacy that makes a comment like that much more meaningful can also mean that that person can create a lot of damage if they do not use that intimacy well. Well. I mean, if you got a text message this afternoon from an unknown number telling you, I think you're a horrible person, I never want to speak to you again. Again, you might not think much of it. You might wonder if they had the wrong number or something like that. But if someone that knows you well, a parent, a child, a spouse, says to you, I never want to see your face ever again, that causes immense pain. Because getting close to something, getting close to someone, it brings intimacy, but it also brings greater risk and marriage forces us closer to a human being than we have maybe ever been before. And God created that to be a beautiful thing, but that also means that if that person so chooses, they have much more ammunition to cause more harm than anyone else could. A greater intimacy brings greater risk. And some of you don't need me to explain that. You've experienced it yourselves, and that is a a thing that we should grieve. And faced with that reality, our natural tendency might be to put up walls, to not draw too close to someone in order to avoid getting hurt too deeply. We might make things about ourselves. We might just ensure that our needs get met. We might insulate ourselves so that no one can get close enough to us so that they can harm us. And yet as we do that, we might keep ourselves safe, but we are settling for less than what God created us for. C.S. Lewis once wrote that to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. That does not change the fact that vulnerability can lead to hurt, but it does mean that God's intent for us is not that we would wall ourselves off, but that the God who is love and created us for loving relationships with him and one another desires us to draw near to God and to others, because God has drawn near to us in Jesus so that we may know the love of God and so that those around us might know the love of God as well. And We've been making our way through a sermon series the past few weeks called You Are Not Your Own to push back against the message of our culture that we belong to ourselves. And we see that line of thinking, whether we recognize it or not, applied to marriage consistently. I mean, if we approach marriage, From the standpoint of looking for our own fulfillment, we will look for for a spouse that's based purely on whether or not they meet our standards or what we are looking for. We may not give ourselves to them fully because we're fearful that if we do, that's going to come back to hurt us in some way. But the gospel tells us, in marriage, just as much in every other area of life, that we are not our own, but belong to God. And that brings about a very different approach to marriage. It calls us closer to the other person than we might be comfortable with at first, but that call is not just for our sake or for their sake. God calls us to another person for the sake of glorifying God. If our marriage, just like every other part of us, belongs to God, that means it is not something to be approached from the standpoint of what can I get out of this, but from the standpoint of how can God be glorified in this? So what I want to do today is walk through what the Bible says about marriage so that God may be glorified in us as individuals and as a church. But before we get to that, I want to offer two disclaimers. And first, you might be thinking the same thing that I'm thinking, and that is that Monty's been married for about eight and a half months, and so I know what you're thinking. Yes, that does make me an expert, uh, More, depending on who you ask. I do not stand before you this morning as someone who has it all figured out, imparting my wisdom on you. So many of you have forgotten more about marriage than I know. But what I want to do today is look at Scripture together so we might catch a vision of what God desires to do through us. And secondly, this is not just a sermon for people who are married or plan to be one day. I, I've listened to a fair share of sermons as a single person about marriage and left church wondering, okay, why did any of that matter for me? So if you're feeling that right now, believe me when I say I know how you feel. Because the, the, the church, I'm speaking about the, the global church as a whole, if I can paint in broad strokes, we have not always been good at speaking of the value of singleness. We sometimes act as if marriage is the end goal for everyone, and anyone who hasn't reached that end goal yet has something wrong with them that has to be fixed. And I have nothing against marriage, obviously, but if that's our understanding of it, we've missed it. If nothing else, that stance towards marriage says that the way in which Jesus lived on this earth was not good enough. And I could be wrong, but if you've created a Christian community where Jesus would not be welcome, you've probably missed the boat somewhere. Paul makes it clear in a passage like 1 Corinthians 7 that singleness is a good thing that should be celebrated and faithfully live to the glory of God. So if that applies to you, hear me when I say that you are not less than in the eyes of this church, and more importantly, you are not less than in the eyes of God. God calls each of us to faithfulness where we are, and that is my prayer for each of us. So if you're not married, I feel for you because we are not just interested in marriage for the sake of marriage. We are interested in marriages that bring glory to God. So my goal is today is not to say, here are five steps to having a great marriage. My desire is for us to catch a glimpse of what God wants to do through us as a reflection of the love that he has for us and for the world. And so maybe you're married, and your takeaway from this morning is just going to be, okay, this is how God is calling me to live in my marriage. Maybe you're planning to be married one day and the takeaway is simply, okay, here's what God expects of me when that day comes. Or maybe you're not married and don't plan to be and your takeaway for today is still, here is how I can see the love of God towards me and reflected in those around me. So for all of us, my prayer has been and is now that we would know the love of God and imitate it to the best of our abilities in our closest relationships. So to try to help us do that, I want to give us a sort of a thesis statement for this morning that I then want to break into pieces to help us get our arms around what we're trying to accomplish this morning. So our our thesis statement for this morning is a little lengthy, but it says marriage is a covenant from God that shows his love and calls both people into what they were created to be. So the first piece of that, marriage is a covenant from God. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told of God creating all things, the heavens and the earth, and as you read through Genesis 1, six different times, God creates something, he gets to the end, and he calls it good. And then God gets to the end of the chapter, at the very end of Genesis 1, he takes a step back, he looks at everything he has made, and he pronounces everything very good, and then we enter into Genesis 2, and we're told that God creates the first man, and he places him in this garden of Eden to rule over it, to take care of it, to partner with God in, uh, in caring for his creation. And we're told there for the first time that something in God's creation is not good. And the thing that is not good is that man is alone. All of this creation has come about out of the perfection of God. For all eternity, God has existed in, this tr- in, in Trinity as a three beings in one person, existing in this perfect relationship, always uh, giving glory to one another, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as an overflow of that perfect re- eternal relationship, God has created everything else. And he's created humanity as the crown jewel of that creation. And at the end of it, God finds that man existing alone does not perfectly reflect his glory. So God creates a helper suitable for him, a partner to come alongside him in this task of caring for and ruling over creation. We're told about that in Genesis 2, picking up at verse 21. The text says that the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. When nothing else in creation could be found to partner with man, God created woman. Out of man's side as a demonstration of their union together in marriage. And from the very beginning, God created marriage to be a place where two people who are different come together as one. And that is a gift that God gives humanity, and it brings joy here in this passage. There in verse 23, after God brings the woman to man, he breaks into song, he breaks into poetry. This is the first time in the Bible where poetry from a human being is recorded, and it comes because of the joy of marriage. Marriage is a good thing given to humanity by God That should cause celebration. And I know that this is the ideal lined out for us in chapter 2 before sin entered the world in chapter 3. I know that the reality of marriage is often more difficult than what what is portrayed here, but we should not lose sight of the fact that this is God's intent. In marriage, God calls two individuals, man and woman, to come together as one, To commit to one another unconditionally and to partner together in the life God calls them to. A wedding ceremony gives us a glimpse into God's desires. He calls two people to commit to each other, to forsake all others, to love and support one another because that is how God exists in relationship with himself and that's how he relates to us. The sort of covenant God lays out here between Adam and Eve is the exact same kind of covenant God makes with his people time and time again across scripture when God gives the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Old Testament law in Exodus chapter 20, it is not an authority imposing rules. It is a bride, purpose, or is a groom proposing to his bride, committing to her unconditionally and asking her to do the same. When you read the Old Testament, God will say to his people time and time again, You will be my people and I will be your God, promising to bind himself to them, never leaving them or forsaking them. And yet we know, if you've read through the Old Testament, that the people do not hold up their end of the bargain. Later in the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea is commanded to go marry a promiscuous woman as an object lesson for how the people have broken this relationship with God. Hosea is commanded in chapter 1, verse 2 of his book, he says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea goes and he marries Gomer. That's a real name. Go read the Bible if you don't believe me. And she continues to be promiscuous. Just as Israel has been promiscuous in worshiping other gods. And we might think the story would end there. Hosea would give up, go his own way. But in chapter 3, God says to Hosea, Hosea writes that the Lord said to me, go Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So Hosea says, I, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you were to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way toward you. That is what a covenant supposed to look like it's not a contract so many of our relationships are contractual I have a contractual relationship with quick trip because they are the closest gas station to my house their gas tends to be as cheap as anywhere else in town and because I'm in their rewards program that means that every few visits I get a discount on my gas and so that's where I end up buying most of my gas and yet in that arrangement. There's nothing binding me to Quick Trip exclusively. When gas is cheaper somewhere else, when Fleet Farm's a little cheaper, I go over to Fleet Farm. And there's nothing in that that has forced Quick Trip to make any kind of commitment to me. If Quick Trip decides to close the gas station closest to my house, I'm not going to be able to stop them in any way. That's just how business works. And we can see that sort of relationship played out in all sorts of ways in our lives day and day and that's not bad in and of itself but it is not how god relates to us and it is not how god calls us to relate to one another god binds himself to his people with an unconditional love that will never be broken and we reflect god's commitment to us by committing to one another in the covenant of marriage we do not commit ourselves to another person as long as things are going well we bind ourselves together for better or worse for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in a covenant, as a reflection of God's love. And we might hear that and think, well, that unconditional love sounds easy enough for God. I mean, he's perfect and eternal and all those things, but, but it's kind of hard for us sometimes. And we might wonder if it's worth following through on. But the reason why God calls us to this sort of relationship is shown in the next piece of our statement for this morning we're called to a covenant relationship in marriage in order to show the love of God so to see that we have to jump over to Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul reflects on Genesis 2 I want to read verses 21 to 33 for us Paul writes submit to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the Savior After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We can't say everything that could be said about this passage this morning, so if you are left wanting more, just allow me to say that we're going to be preaching through Ephesians this fall, and so put it on your calendar. We'll be coming back to this passage somewhere around Thanksgiving. But this portrait Paul gives us is helpful for seeing how marriage is supposed to reveal the love of God, because these verses are a part of one of these household codes, like we saw Paul give in Colossians when we were talking about work last week where paul is applying what the teachings of the gospel mean in our closest relationships but as you read these verses you might notice he's not concerned with healthy marriages just for the sake of healthy marriages he's concerned about the glory of god this entire passage begins by calling us to submit to one another out of reverence for christ because you belong to jesus in your marriage submit to one another and from that point, he shows that a husband and wife are to model the relationship that we see between Christ and the church. And that's a two-way street. He calls, he calls wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And it seems like we often stop there. We say, I don't want to have to submit to anybody. Or we say, see, you have to submit to me. I can do whatever I want. And we don't keep reading to see what Paul actually says. He says husbands are to love and serve their wife as Christ does church, which means giving up yourself for their sake because that's what Jesus has done for us. He left perfection in heaven to be born as a human, placed in a feed trough as his first crib. He gave up his life on the cross and that is what his love and service has looked like and no husband should ever demand submission if they are not willing to follow that example. He did not deme- Jesus did not demand to be served. He did not stand up for himself even though he had every right to. He gave up himself and someone who will give their life for you is someone who is worth submitting to and that is the sort of bond Paul calls spouses to model. So that means that the ultimate goal of marriage is not our own fulfillment. It means the main benefit of marriage is not that filing jointly on taxes will save you a little money. It means that the goal of marriage is not to ensure you have to take care of you as you age. It It means that the goal of marriage is not even to raise a family or anything like that. It means that the ultimate goal of marriage is to give a watching world a picture of God's love. So much of our world is motivated by the idea of finding true love, and once I find the one, that will solve all my problems, and I'll be happy, and I'll be content, and I'll be fulfilled. And we can be guilty of baptizing that in the church sometimes and thinking that once you get married, all your problems will go away. Once you have kids, or once you have a few kids, then you'll be happy. And again, hear me. I'm in favor of marriage, I'm in favor of children, but we must always keep in mind that the ultimate goal is to give a portrait of the love of God. A marriage that approaches every day with both parties looking to show one another the love of God is one that can thrive. That is a picture that a world trying to figure out what love is desperately needs that they can look at and say, well, if that is what the love of God is like, then I want to know more about this God. And that's why Paul takes us back to Genesis chapter 2 in this passage. He wants us to see there's more going on here than a report about the first wedding. It's a portrait of how closely Jesus identifies with his people, and that is our blueprint. That is our calling in marriage to reflect the love of God to one another and to the world. And yet all of this is done just as a preview of what is to come. I want to circle back to just a few verses in this passage to help us grasp this last part of our statement because if we just marriage is something for me or even just as something for me and my spouse we will stop short of all god desires right there in the middle of this passage picking up at verse 25 paul says husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless jesus gave himself for his people so that we might be radiant, without blemish, holy, and blameless. And Paul says Jesus cleansed us by washing. That's an act. The language he uses there is something that, that women would typically do in their culture. And yet he says that's what Jesus has done to show us just how far he has gone in order to serve and deliver his people. And that end goal is the one Paul calls us to pursue in our marriages. As we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we bring about this preview of future glory where everyone is brought into what God intended them to be. If you belong to Jesus, he has made you radiant through all he's done. He he has presented you without blemish, not because you are a great person, but because of all he has done for us. And he calls us to walk alongside one another to provide and catch previews of that future glory to come. And because Jesus has done that, we serve and care for one another in order that we all may look more like what God desires us to be. There's a story that says that after Michelangelo had sculpture David, someone asked him how he did it, and his response was, I created a vision of David in my mind and simply carved away everything that was not David. He had a piece of marble and because of his expertise, he could see a priceless sculpture within it, even if no one else could. And so he worked to bring out what he saw so that everyone else could see it as well. And that, I think, is a little bit of a picture into what we are doing in marriage. Marriage is looking at, a sp- at your spouse and saying, right now you might just be a piece of marble, but there is something incredible underneath, and I want to help bring that out. And if you belong to Jesus, there will come a day where you will stand before the throne of God and you will be made completely whole, restored into everything God intended for you to be. And in our life together now, we call one another closer to what will one day be brought out fully. The author Timothy Keller says that what then is marriage for? It's for helping each other to become our future glory selves. The new creations that God will eventually make us that's the day we look for in previews in the present and when it comes it will be glorious because if you remember in the book of Hosea, the best way god could come up with to illustrate how his people had walked away from him was the image of an adulterous marriage and at the end of the story when God is describing what it will look like when all things are restored and he returns to dwell with his people forever, the best image he has available to him is a wedding ceremony. And John describes it for us in Revelation 21, 1-4. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I've been to a fair share of weddings, like I assume you have, or at least many of you have as well. Sometimes just sitting in the crowd, sometimes as a groomsman, sometimes as the officiant, once as the groom, and those days are full of incredible moments. And whatever favorite memory you might have from a wedding your own or or someone else's, the best a marriage, the best a wedding ceremony on earth could ever offer is a foretaste of the joy God has in store for us. Because his new creation will come to this earth and we will be presented to him like a bride being handed off to her groom. And we will enter into eternity with our God, living with him as he always intended. And that is always the goal we should look forward to. So if you are married, I'm asking you to hand your marriage over to God because it was never about you to begin with. If you're not married and would like to be, learn from those around you right now about what a marriage centered on Christ looks like. And seek out those qualities in yourself and those you might consider marrying. If you're not married and don't plan to be, I'm not here to convince you that you're a second-class citizen. I'm here to show you the deep love God has for you that extends far beyond the best love we could ever see between two human beings. And we experience that greater commitment marriage points us to when we commit to life together with God and as a church family in response to the love he has shown us. And whether we are in a marriage or a In a marriage or observing others, we can catch glimpses of the love of God while at the same time knowing his love is far greater. So no matter what season you might be in, for all of us, may we encourage one another as we follow Jesus together. One of the things Whitney and I did while we were engaged that uh, we didn't get to do as much as we would have liked. Planning a wedding had to get in the way. Um, But we tried to sit down for dinner with couples who had been married for a long time and just listen to their story and that I tell you that because the church needs faces like that we need older people encouraging and mentoring younger people in the way of Jesus and you might hear that and think well our marriage isn't much of an example to follow but no I'm talking to you I'm not asking you to write a book on how to have a perfect marriage I'm asking you to share a meal to share a cup of coffee to honestly, humbly share your story as one person, as one couple, trying to follow Jesus and invite others to follow Jesus alongside you. And when we do that, we are being church. And when we do that, we bring transformation. You've maybe heard the story uh, from Homer's Iliad of Odysseus and the Sirens. In Greek mythology, Homer tells us that Odysseus is on his way home from the Trojan Wars and he has to sail past the sirens who would sing these songs that would cause ships to sail towards them and then they would crash on the rocks. And Odysseus wants to hear their song and live and so he puts wax in the ears of all his sailors. He tells them just to keep rowing, to not pay attention to anything. He, says, he ties himself to the mast of the ship and he says, I'm going to go crazy and tell you guys to go closer to the rocks when I hear this song, but don't listen to me until, I, until we are far gone and I've regained my sanity. And there's a lesson about marriage to be taught within that story, that there are times in life where we lose our minds and marriage ties us to the mast to say that whatever comes, if you lose your mind, you are not going anywhere because you've made that commitment. And I think that's a good lesson. But a friend of mine recently told me another story involving the sirens in Greek mythology that maybe I'd heard before And forgotten about but I think it is maybe an even better story because Orpheus was a musician who also sailed near the sirens and made it past them but he didn't do so by stopping up his ears or anyone else's he did it by playing a song so beautiful that it drowned out the sirens and they stopped singing he overcame the song that led to death with something better We live in a world whose view of love and marriage sounds great, but it is headed towards crashing on the rocks. And the message of Jesus offers life and transformation. My prayer is that we would belong to God in our marriages and show a watching world what the love of God truly looks like so that we can be transformed and those around us can be as well. So no matter who you are, hand your life over to God. And walk alongside others that are doing the same so that God might be glorified in us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the rich, deep love you have poured out on us in your Son, who came to this earth to serve us, to pursue us, and to bring us into life. God, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit where we are right now to respond in keeping with how you have acted towards us. Father, in our closest relationships, make us servants. Forgive us for when we have tried to make it about ourselves or sought our own good at the expense of others. Help us take up the form of a servant, just as Christ did, so that we might bring restoration to the world around us, bring life where there is death. God, help us to boldly trust in you. And We ask that, the, that there would be strong, faithful followers of you, whether they're married or not, within this church, so that we could show the world around us what it looks like to truly love one another in a way that brings life. So we place ourselves before you now and ask that you would use us for your glory. We ask all this in your Son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.